Live from the U.S. Open, welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by NCR's Spain and Sub-Saharan Africa correspondent, Tamani Carriol, doing a show together in person for the first time all year. How are you, Tamani? We're back. I'm very good to be here. I'm happy. Very happy to be here. We were just out watching uh, the court nearest to the, the media center. We were watching in, uh, inside on the monitors, and they came out to see a bit of uh, Miriam Bjorklund versus Elisa Mertens. Not a very, you know, marquee first round match at all, but the amount of crowd and overflow people there, like every single court here is packed. The number of people and the enthusiasm for, for tennis in this event, I gotta say, I'm really struck by in person. I, I think it's always the first day of a slam is a reminder of how many people are on, on these grounds, how many people are coming to see tennis play, why players, you know, enjoy the stage so much. Miriam Bjorklund, Probably isn't playing it in front of many people, you know, week after week, yeah. week by week. But here, every, everyone's here to see her, and yeah, it's, it's it's a cool ambience, a nice atmosphere, and it's good. It's good to be here, right? Yeah, good to be here. This is my first tournament. I just finished writing the uh, manuscript final draft uh, a few days ago uh, for my Naomi Osaka biography. You can pre-order it now. So I'm now turning a bit more to uh, NCR during these next few weeks and months. So we're going to have uh, daily shows for at least the first week and a little bit beyond of the U.S. Open and hopefully all the way. We'll see. TBD. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to doing it. What is, so catch me up, Tumani. What have been like the big stories uh, for this U.S. Open? I just got here today. So you were doing all the pre-press and stuff and all that. My sense has been a lot of talk about Saudi Arabia since the one that's breaking through for me. What is that right? And what, what do you see as sort of the big picture stories and buzz before the tournament, the chatter? Yeah, I think Saudi Arabia has been one of the biggest stories because the WTA board is voting on the on the um, location of the WTA finals um, in New York while while we're here, and I mean just the mere the mere fact that it still isn't decided after last year and the year before and the year before. This is the thing that's crazy to me. This is the third year in a row that the WTA does not know where its year-end championships are going to be during the U.S. Open. That is like unprecedented disorganization bluntly, that, that a tour doesn't know where its flagship event is going to be this many times in a row. It's not that they were voting for Saturday Arabia as controversial for 2024, but no, no, this is going to be like in two months, yeah. this event. It's so soon. And it also cuts against any host, honestly, being able to do it well. Whoever wins this bid, and I think Saudi Arabia's bidding, there's a, um, a Prague bid that a lot of people are supporting, there's also a Washington, Washington. D.C. bid that personally I would love to have in my backyard, I don't know if that should be in D.C. proper or somewhere else, you know, in the suburbs. But um, that'd be great. But yeah, but that it's still undecided. It's it's crazy to me. It's it's in, honestly it's incompetent. Yeah. And 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 some of the players have said that after last year when you know when they played in Fort Worth and there were very few fans, when it was clearly far from ideal, they they were under the impression or they'd been told that there would be a decision made at the beginning of this year and that it would be in advance and that hasn't happened and. As you said, with two months, there's, there's, there's only so much you can do to hold a successful event. You compare it to the ADP Finals, where a few weeks ago, they, if you go on their website, they, they say 85% of tickets have been sold already. Yeah. 85% of tickets have been sold for the ADP Finals. Not zero, a single zero one. percent for the WTA. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's, it's, I, I want them to do better. What, what do you come down on? And we'll get more into Saudi Arabia, I think, at different points in the developing story, especially if they do wind up going there. Do you think... It's a, a red line the WTA is, is playing footsie with, or what do you what do you think on this on the idea of it? It's, it's not it's not great, is it, for the the leading women's sport to be going to 
play as, as you said it's, it's flagship event at, at a con- in a country where so many of the you know rules and regulations are patriarchal misogynist whatever when you you add into the fact that there are many you know gay women or, or yeah or LGBT. WTA was built by lesbians. Yeah, and an and obvious example was Dario Casacchino, who's actually yeah. been one of the few players to actually kind of dis- clearly oppose it. Yeah. Uh, saying that it's it's all about money, but um, it shouldn't be all about money. Here's the thing also to me that gets me, and then we'll move on to other US Open stuff. It's not even that much money. Listen, what the reports are saying, or at least John Warthorn has reported, the Prague money is like comparable for the prize money, and maybe there's a bigger fee. If you're going to go to Saudi Arabia and sell out to that country and that those and those concessions and God knows what like the wardrobe restrictions would be for the women on court, like that's like I've seen these pictures of what like the WWE wrestlers, women. If you Google it, what the WWE women had to wear in the ring in Saudi Arabia, it's like T-shirts and like you know long you know long sleeve and, and, and leggings or whatever pants, like very very conservative stuff. So people who are usually out there in like essentially bikinis or spandex or whatever, and so like there'd be some restriction probably there for the women. All to say, the Live Golf Tour, they got obscenely huge money, these men who signed on to play this golf tour, like ridiculous exponential raises. And so for me, at least if you're going to sell out for WTA, make, make it really worth your while. Have them subsidize the entire tour. Have them double at least the entire prize money year-round for the whole tour. Do something nuts. If you're really going to cross this bridge, make it worth your while. That's and, my thought. And, and Don't be cheap and sell out. Yeah. And the thing is that, we, I mean, we're having, in a different way, having similar conversations when, when the WTA signed its ten, quote-unquote 10-year deal yeah. with, with Shenzhen, which they played for the first time in 2019, and obviously that came with crazy money. Ash Party was given the... $4.3, yeah, $4.4 million. Which, which yeah. was record men or, or women's yeah. prize money at the time. And that was a, that's been a colossal failure. And you can say, obviously, when, when the WTA were expanding into Asia and the whole WTA thing. Sure, they couldn't have imagined that there would be a pandemic and that China would close off its borders, but having kind of put all your eggs in that basket and ha- had those consequences, why, why do you take, yeah. take the, the tour? Okay, wait. That's cheers. Somebody won. Someone won. Someone, someone, one of the listeners at home will know who won of Mertens in Brooklyn. Not yet clear to us. We do not know. Um, but yeah, it's just... Even even forgetting about kind of the, the those moral arguments, just the fact that after all that's happened in Shenzhen, the the next it's, oh. an, it's another desperate sort of dodgy move. Yeah, and yeah, completely. And, and then the last thing I'll say, and then we'll move on. It's it, it can keep you on good footing if you keep doing the desperate thing over and over and over again. If you go to Prague, where you have a Wimbledon champion this year, like four women in the top twelve of the race or whatever, it's like a position of strength. It's some nod towards. The base of, of women's tennis, which is North American and uh, European, and traditionally the home of it, it doesn't have to be everywhere. You don't have to be everywhere as a sport. Most sports aren't everywhere, and you know NBA teams are not everywhere. They're in the U.S. and it's still a successful league, and it's fine. Anyway, it's a different uh, different topic. Yeah, but I just I just want the sport to un- understand its own value and you know prioritize actually trying to build a sport that can reach many people because of its quality and because of you know what the athletes are doing on the court. Yeah. The 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 drama, everything. I don't I don't know. buy this stuff about the how like being there will help like will help Saudi women. I I don't buy. I that. mean it's it's the line that everyone who ever goes to you know makes yeah. these decisions. Yeah. 
comes up with. Sorry, but let's go to some of the other U.S. Open more stories. Just, we were in daily shows, so some day one stories. A few big results happened today. Uh, let's start with the 2020 U.S. Open champion on the men's side, winning his first match here since then. Dominic Team, who won uh, the empty U.S. Open in 2020 in that final against Zverev, but he's obviously was a popular champion in his own way. Had a really rough run of injury form. This win over Bublik for him today. How big is that for, for team? Who next plays someone big? He plays um, Ben Shelton. Ben Shelton. I was always thinking that could be like an Ash Knight match potentially, even though both unseated. Like the marquee, that's a pretty good pick. At least at least an Armstrong Knight match. At least it's good and, and just positive to see that he that there seems to be some even just small momentum building after what felt felt like you know he'd, he'd have a good performance. He pushed Stefanos Tsitsipas to three sets, but then go down to challenges and lose to world number 200 or, yeah. or whatever um, but he had a great great week in Kitzbühel in, in Austria one of his own crowd made the final he also again at Wimbledon played that great five set match against Stefanos and, and here you know he's, he's again he played well I, I watched kind of bits of it and it was Bublik doing his you know his whole shit you know 120 mile an hour serve followed by um, uh underarm serve followed by him standing at the service line to return serves and yeah. just doing crazy things and and team handled it well his forehand looked good and yeah let, let's see if he can take take another step and against Shelton who actually has a lot to prove himself or well, not necessarily to prove but it's been a difficult season really yeah, since, it, since the Australian Open since the Australian Open breakout where he had a good draw and took advantage of it but really took advantage of it and looked very very solid and didn't look fluky he has not followed up with anything at that level or close to it so yeah, this would be a big chance for him to make a third round. Even US Open would be a good result for him if he can get past team. He's a good test, and that should be a big match. It's definitely my, my match of the second round for sure. Even if they are both unseated uh, there, uh, the other big sort of result, biggest result seed-wise so far in the men's today. We're recording this as you can timestamp it when Mertens and uh, Bjorklund just finished around eight o'clock or so. We still don't know who won, but yeah, we'll figure. I think I saw Bjorklund smiling with a, taking a photo of somebody. So either she won or she's a good loser. Good sport is uh, someone who is a bit less of a good sport, maybe, Holger Runa, uh, who was on the court next to that one, court five, which he was really not happy about. He tweeted a map to his court. What do you make of Holger being this sort of outspoken about his unhappiness with his court and also losing and, and really having had a bad couple months? I thought, well, first of all, I thought it was a great tweet and particularly the, the phrase, if you can find court five, <laughs> here's the map. Good luck, basically. Um, I, I mean, for someone I, who's so new too, who is like, who was fully like belonged on Core Five a year ago. Who does, like, he, like, who does he think he is? I don't say that. I don't say that rhetorically. I'm genuinely curious. Who does he think he is? He thinks who, he's, he's the number four, but like he's brand new. He's not like going to get stopped in the streets of Manhattan, Holger. I don't think. Well, he, he thinks he's on the path to number and one. I love and that. I love the belief. I love that he has this like outsized. I mean, the, per the, the, the comparison people were making, obviously, because the court comment was to Yankovic, and he's kind of ATP Yankovic in his, in, his, in, his, in, his, in his, the way he feels himself. But I think Yankovic kind of was a bit more in on the joke and, un you know, yeah. understood the, the hilarity, you know, <laughs> and, and didn't take it as seriously. But, yeah, I, 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 as I said, I, I liked the, the tweet because it was funny. I, I do. I, I get. I get. It. He's a fourth seed at a Grand Slam. Blah blah blah. But yeah, you you have to. Sometimes you have to earn those stripes. And I mean, I mean, Court Five is a great court. We're, we're sitting right near it, and there's a. It's, it's not like you know Wimbledon ten years ago when you'd, there'd be just people walking past. I mean, even now, people just walking past and barely any seats. 
So yeah. it's a good good course. It's one of my so. favorite courts to watch. I think players do like it when they're on there. Uh, one person who did like it who was on there is uh, Jen Brady, who was on the match after uh, there, and she actually kind of referred to Holger's uh, unhappiness in her press conference as well. Brady's back. Uh, she's playing well. Don't know what she'll be able to do in terms of mixing up top level, winning over Kim Birrell. Doesn't necessarily auger much. Who knows? Wozniacki beat Birrell, obviously, famously in her comeback match, and hasn't looked great since then uh, competitively. Uh, well, other matches on the women's side to touch on Maria Sakkari was the big shock and the big, most surprising. Well, actually, we'll go back to Holger. Court nonsense aside, losing to Carbaez Baena as number four, first round of a slam, was a bad loss. Like, I know, I understand it's a little bit undercooked, but like, that, you can't be losing that match if you're going to be a top five player. Yeah, and, and it, since Wimbledon, which was a really positive result, reaching the quarterfinals of the grass court event after having very little experience yeah. on it, it's just kind of gone downhill. There seems to have been some physical problems at least, but I mean, it didn't look like that when he was, you know, doing the shadow swings in, in some apartment, empty apartment building. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Um, a lot of training videos, not yeah, a lot of wins. Exactly. But, so, so and, and just, yeah, his form, his recent form has just been a bit weird. It definitely seems like, I mean, aside from Wimbledon, he, he, he excel, after, he's really excelled on, on clay and indoors, and he's still waiting for big, big results on outdoor hardcourts. I'm not sure okay. if, if that's really... Just, I mean, I'm sure that's gonna, it's going to come, but it's just a bit weird this, this summer, really. That is unusual. Yeah, you're right. No real big outdoor hardcore events to speak of, results-wise. I mean, he did okay in Australia. Uh, he made, what, fourth round, he lost yeah. to Rublev in that really tight finish. Um, but yeah, um, okay, so going back to Sakari there. Sakari uh, lost to uh, Rebecca Masarova. Uh, surprising loss for her. I have... I, I, I don't know how to say it on CR, so I'll say it here. Like, I have a lot, a lot, a lot of respect for Sakari and yep. what she's done in her career. And I think she gets, like, really unfairly piled onto and becomes this, like, punchline for some section of, of tennis Twitter that I think is totally unjust. Like, she's made, yes, she's made it. She hasn't only made, won one title. But her consistency in an era that has no consistency largely, except for now, very recently, Sviantek achieving, like, peak-level consistency. Like... She's doing something no one else can do, and she's a consummate pro, and that's... Anyway, I just want to say that. I think, I think so many players, if they had what she has... Because she's not the most, she's not the most talented player in terms of shots and, and hands and talent, honestly. But she works hard and she competes really well, and that gets her really far. Um, I, I, I wonder, you know, if, if, if she can make another push back into the top five she's kind of just kind of on the downhill of her of her trajectory for her career at least short term or, or what, what do you think uh future holds for her because it's not been it's been up and down like she made the final washington but it's been it's been choppy uh, I, I think i think her career is quite funny in a way because on one hand she's very much an overachiever or someone who's totally maximized her talent as she she says often she wasn't a great junior the you know, she wasn't sparklingly talented when she was younger, but with, with the work she's done and uh, she's built herself into a top uh, former world number two and, yeah. and had all of that success and consistently making deep runs in events. On the other hand, cl clearly she could achieve more in, if she has been was able to kind of keep her head in big moments. Clearly, she, the fact that she's putting herself in certain positions and, and the issue is often mental. I mean, demonstrates that she, clearly she's, she should be able to re remain in the top 10, continue. Yeah. No, th th this has been, it's not like she has had one or two 
massive results and that have catapulted her yeah. in, into the top ten. She's shown that she can maintain it. But we'll see. It just depends. Sorry, it just depends on. In, in my opinion, it, it depends on the head. And, and clearly, there's there, there are more talented players, there are better players than her. Um, but yeah, she's capable of achieving more. She has this unique long-term coaching setup with Tom Hill, her British coach, who's been on NCR, and they have said like that she wants to work with him for the rest of her career, which is very unusual for a player to say that and to, and to so far follow through on it. I do wonder if she needs to like retool in some way. The way people said about Wozniacki for years and years and years, you know, like to add an extra punch to get to that next step. But the stuff she's at already is so good. Like I don't want to knock her mostly because like her career is amazing. Because like I think she is such an overachiever, and, 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 and so many players are not, and especially on the men's side, so many players are, are underachieving. And one of them is retiring this week in Jack Sock. I'll say bluntly, like all that talent and and didn't have any of the work ethic to work with it. No, seriously, that's that's my. Th- we'll get to Sock when he retires later. In the, in the tournament, but I think Sock and Sockery, kind of similar starts, are actually like interesting analogs to each other. I, I will say that she did actually try to bring in Mark Philippoussis, and and that d- doesn't seem to have gone well, considering Philipp Philippoussis is back with Tsitsipas now. And I'll try again. There's lots of people yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah, but that may that may end up kind of strengthening her resolve to just stay with to stay with with her current coach. Look, and she's still a top tenner. Like it's not like yeah. she's like really crashing in any oh, yeah, level. Sure. I mean, she just had a bad. It's a bad loss to Master Over for sure. And there's also you know she complained about the you know she actually was winning until she complained about the smoke smell, the the marijuana smoke, which is actually very pungent around the grounds a lot. I've noticed it. I never here and, and in the city. The city yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, not like that's it's, this is different than DC. DC does not have this like this level of New York. It's it's been interesting being here for that. Okay, other last couple things. I will tell you that Coco Golf lost the first set to Laura Siegemann, score update. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that one and come back to you because Coco has been one of the stories. Actually, they will transition to one of the other last big picture stories we'll get to before I wrap this up. The Americans are actually kind of like a story, it seems like, and even other people are acknowledging this. I mean, Golf at a great summer wins Washington and Cincinnati. Pagula wins the other big tournament of the summer in Canada. Weird, broken tournament there. I mean, kind of an asteriskable feat because of how the schedule went and everything, but she's been obviously good. And two American men in the top 10 in Fritz and Tiafo, who both won today, and also four, uh, four other American men, Eubanks, Tommy Powell, uh, Ben Shelton, and Corda have all made quarterfinals of slams this year. So like, there, wh- wh- how, as a foreigner, I'm curious, how do you um, see American tennis as an entity right now? I, I think it's clearly in, in a good, good place, and there are a lot of talented players that are capable of going deep in tournaments and this is a, a period I think on both the men's and women's tours where things I mean <laughs> things are opening up a bit I say that relatively because it seems that um, Djokovic and Alcaraz are determined to play every yeah. final that you know they, they, they're both in every tournament they're both in but um, aside from that they're, they're, there's a lot of opportunity and and these players seem to be very keen to take them and again as they're talented they're, they're varied game stars like you know in the past you kind of expect an American player to be a big server and probably not have a very good backhand, but you know th- those stereotypes have kind of been broken by some of the players. Well, I mean most of them really yeah. right, on, on show right now. Um, so yes, yeah, they're good players. Like the, the, obviously, the big question is: it's great that there are multiple top ten players, that there are players hovering outside of the top ten. That Tommy Paul somehow has, is is Carlos Alcaraz's biggest rival, aside yeah. from Djokovic, but. I, the, the biggest question is if they're good enough to take that next step and win actually a win a win a slam. For the yeah. men, for the men especially, that's well, for both really. But for the men especially, it's the 20-year anniversary of the last uh, slam the U.S. men won here. It happened to be here 
uh, when Andy Roddick won the 2003 U.S. Open. None since then, no finals even since Roddick in 09. Uh, much as, a few, quite a few semis now. But yeah, curious how, how that goes because that for the public pop, popular consciousness in the U.S., it's going to take a, a winner of a slam and like probably a winner like with some charisma. Like someone like we've always talked about Tiafo. Tiafo is the one who has the star potential and his charisma is it, such a he's so good for for crowds and growing the game and it being magnetic and all those things. If he can get it done, uh, he has not had a good summer results-wise at all. So not the highest on him currently, but. Yeah, but, but it's interesting to see how it, how it goes. And uh, Coco Golf too, uh, talking about some of the star potential. She's gotten a lot more visible in terms of marketing ads, stuff like that. She's one of the protagonists of this Women's Open. Uh, you mentioned uh, Djokovic and Alcaraz being kind of the two guys to watch. I think this tournament for the women uh, is about Goff and Svantec, I think, and they're in the same quarter as it happens. But to me, those are the two kind of distant favorites for the tournament. Do you agree with that? Um. In, in, in terms of fanfare and, and well, even just, com- even just competitive relevance, both. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's a, in terms of who's going to win the title. It's a it's a group, uh, and the groups has expanded from I don't know from the, the three players who were kind of head and shoulders above everyone in the first half of the year. But certainly in terms of fanfare and who, who people are coming to watch. You're talking about Fiontech, Rubakina, and Sabalenka. Yes, exactly, yeah, with yeah. those three players. Whereas I think now, I'm not sure if you'll win, but it includes Begula, it includes you know a, a few other players. Goff, certainly. Yeah, yeah Goff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an it's a interesting group, and yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. When I, I, I say regarding TFO, it's, it's been just really interesting to, to see the impact he's had. And you know, he, he was talking today with Kevin Garnett, the former basketball player, and just over the past year, there's just been just all of these celebrities coming out to see him. Yeah. He's by he, like within tennis. He's he's by no means the guy. You know, yeah, you know he's, yeah. he still has, has so much. You know he's doing incredibly well, but he also t- to reach his goals, which is to, to win a slam and all of that stuff. He still has a ways to go, as they say here. But um, it's just you know people. I think sports fans are, are here in, in particular are looking for a, a black male player and someone who's charismatic and someone who they can really follow. Serena's carried that mantle in, in general for so long, but I don't know, it's just, been, it's just been very interesting to see that, just how he's cut through and how he's become such a household name, you know, NBA All-Star all, and, and around yeah. the grounds yeah. as well. No, definitely. There's something about that. It's, it's interesting. It's something I talk about a little bit in the Naomi book. There's something about the sort of the cult American culture really latching on in a lot of ways more to sort of players who are seen as challenging this this tennis stereotype of this sort of white country club player which actually i really don't think it's had much to do with what the pro ranks look like in the u.s for a long time that's not really who's becoming the atp players it's these country club white boys it's not really the thing and white girls that's not really what's happening but there is this sort of this sort of um transgressive almost you know way that these people are seen as breaking the mold even if now, you know, with the Williams, with Serena winning here almost 25 years ago for the first time, like, my players have been here and been doing it pretty continuously ever since. But still, there is something, I guess, on the men's side hasn't been the same. But, but still, yeah, it, it's still, I think there is that, that cultural resonance for someone like a Tiafo, yep. which is why I think the upside is what it is um, for him, more than like a Taylor Fritz. Taylor Fritz would not have that same kind of resonance at all. Um, and we'd have to do it through other ways. So, Tamani, thank you very much for being here. This is a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hear from you again, hopefully later in the tournament as well. For sure. And uh, we'll see you guys uh, tomorrow. Bye. Bye.